Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, To the Contrary, recorded on October 2nd, 2022, at Revived Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. All right, well, good morning. We're going to take a very short detour this morning. Sean's going to finish Hebrews 13 when he returns. Um, I'm going to be sharing a message which is going to really be kind of a zooming in from the Hebrews 12 message that I shared a couple of weeks ago. Um, and by the way, if you'd like to follow along with the outline, it's available on our website, reviveriorancho.org. Just click on the bulletin. Um, and if you ever want any of my past sermons, just go to johnlongwell.com and they're all there. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 12. is. Um, I'm sorry, we're actually going to be in Romans 12 today, uh, 14 through 21. So, if you, one of the big issues right now that's going on in the world is uh, race, gender, sexuality, marriage, all of these different kinds of things. And I was looking at some different stats the other day, and they were saying that, anthropologists say that there are four main race groups with about, I'm sorry, there um I'm thinking languages. So there, there are about 4,000 different languages in the world. Um, when it comes to races, anthropologists say there's about four main groups and about 30 subgroups of races. If you go by modern um, definitions of uh, gender, there's 16 different kinds of gender that they say there are today. And sexuality, it's up to 23. And so... There's a lot of different ideas out there. I wanted to look at a stat from the Bible today, which I'm taking from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And from this, we get two groups that are very, very important. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. When it comes to the economy of the believer, those are the only two groups that matter. And I want to share a little kind of a distinct thing that I thought was kind of cool when it talks about the tense of that verb. Those who are perishing, that's an active tense, and those who are being saved. When you look at that, so the word saved here, and it's really neat because it really says that your destination is established. There's no questioning that but you're still in the process of being healed and transformed. So that's what that being saved really um, amounts to. And then for those who are perishing, this this is what's great about that. Their destination is not yet determined because they are not yet utterly unredeemable. And so therefore, those who are being saved should really have an eye to those who are perishing so that we can change their ultimate destination to the one that has a very determined destination. Amen? Okay. So um, 
a couple of weeks ago, I did share a scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, which was, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And when we learned about that word strive, we, we really understood it to mean struggle to master as though you were an athlete. So when you start out maybe in a sport, you start out as a, as a beginner and then you go to intermediate and then sometimes amateur level and then sometimes pro. And then you become to this Olympian level where you become the very best in the world at that sport. And that's essentially what it is when it's talking about to strive. We are struggling to master. We are looking for those areas where we need correction. We are open to the discipline that we would apply so that we can continue to get better and better and better until we have mastered that struggle. And so we're applying this word strive for peace with everyone. So that's how it, that's the level of of mastery that we're looking for. And then we also apply that to our life of holiness. He says, and also struggle to master that holiness because without that we will not see God. We are going to be looking at this scripture here in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, which really is kind of us zooming in on that Hebrews 12, 14 verse. And um, thank you for reading that for us, Jose. And I'm just going to take it um, one verse at a time, and we're just going to unpackage it here. So the first verse is, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So the first thing that we're going to see here is that we have an enemy or someone that is at odds with us that is persecuting us. And so... We're going to see that the whole, the whole symbol, the whole theme that's going to be carried out through this entire Romans chapter is don't respond in kind. And so he's saying, instead, I want you to look at these people that are persecuting you, and now I want you to see them through the eyes of how can I bless them. And he, he's so emphatic about it that he repeats it. He says, bless those who, who persecute you. I say bless, do not curse. Because what he's saying is the natural tendency is to respond in kind and escalate it to the level where we would want to curse them. And that word curse means basically look to their destruction. Take it not only from a place of, of responding in kind of somebody slaps you, you slap them back. No, it's, it's like the whole Sicilian kind of way. You kill me, I kill you. It's just like you take one of mine, I take two of yours. It's, it's that whole escalation. And he's saying, no, we need to stop that. And the way to do that is to respond in something that's absolutely contrary to your nature. And okay, so that's the first verse there. The second verse is um, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Well, that's pretty easy to do if it's a friend of yours. Oh, hey, something happened to my friend. You know, he won the lottery. That's great. Well, what if something good happens to somebody that you don't like? Your instant response is, oh, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, you know? Or if something tragic happens to somebody that you don't like, couldn't happen to a nicer guy, you know? That whole same connotation. But that also, when he's talking about bless those, the end goal of that is to wish for their well-being, And so that's the mindset that we take on when we flip it around and we start walking in the inverse of our natural man's tendencies. And so we will then take ourselves from a place of, 
okay, so now this enemy, I'm supposed to not only... And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you like them. It just means that this becomes God's heart through you to them. And you'll be surprised that maybe after a while, maybe you do start to gain some genuine like for that person. That That's what happens in God's economy. And so you then like, okay, well, that's pretty cool that that happened to that person. I'll, you know, congratulations. Um, but the harder one is not to think good thoughts when something bad happens to someone. I, I can't tell you how many times when I've been driving down the interstate and some guy goes passing me 25 miles faster than what I'm driving, and then five seconds later a cop passes me, and I'm like, yes, finally a little justice in the world, except for when I'm driving and then I pass somebody, and I'm like, oh, I hope that justice isn't following me. And so... There's, there's a really cool um, illustration that I want to share with you about weeping with those who weep. There's a story of a, a, a man who was put in jail. While he was in jail, his mom was in the hospital. She was dealing with some fairly um, severe illnesses. Well, while in the hospital, she ended up passing away. So the sister of this prisoner, she calls him up, and he's in prison, mind you, and she tells him this news. And he's so overcome with grief that he immediately just starts crying. Well, you don't want to show weakness when you're in prison. You don't want to show any kind of thing that could make you vulnerable. But this this prisoner was so overwhelmed with this grief that he was physically just undulating with with those the tears and, and the weeping. And when he hung up the phone, there was a line of prisoners that were standing there ready to give him a hug. Some of them shared food with him. One wrapped him in a blanket, and two asked him to come over and sit with them so that they could pray with him. His transparency and his vulnerability in that setting was so stark to the hostility that was normally there that it changed all of these other prisoners who could relate to what he was going through because they knew too that they had families on the outside that they were not able to share in the events of life with. And so I share that because sometimes God is, is saying, you know what? They're your enemy, but if they don't know the Lord, they're a prisoner of war. You are not at war against them. They are a prisoner, and we need to have hearts that would go out to them and treat them as such. All right, so verse number 16. <clears throat> Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So this word live, it literally means reside, dwell, make your residence near. And it means to form a community. You know, I've lived in a lot of different houses, um, and ever since I've moved to Rio Rancho, I've lived in the Cabazon neighborhoods. And I'm really sad to say that I don't know any of my, my neighbors by their first name. We are all, and I live literally eight feet away from them, their wall. I look out my window and there's, there's their wall. And yet I don't know their names. I don't know what's going on in their lives. I don't even know if I could go over and legitimately ask for a cup of sugar, you know, if people even still do that. Um, but that's the kind of world that we live in. We're so close together and yet we're so far apart. And so one, He's trying to reiterate that this is important, that we are meant to live in community with one another. But we have to remember that the person that we're trying to be in community with, 
They're, they've got some differences from us. They don't like us. They're trying to persecute us. They're trying to be our enemy. And, and so there's this discord. But as we listen to worship, every once in a while we'll hear those harmonies. Well, harmonies occur because there's melody and there's harmony, which means there's a difference. But when they're blended together, they produce this amazingly beautiful sound. And that's exactly what God is trying to tell us. He goes, those differences that I have created, I have also purposed together so that they will be able to live in harmony. And when those around, even those that are forming that, that are different, they hear that, it's pleasant and pleasing to their hearts. And the next thing he says is don't be haughty, which means don't be proud, don't be arrogant. If you have some difference or distinction, if you're richer, if your social economic position is, is different than someone else, God says, I don't see you that way. You need to stop seeing everybody else that way. You need to see them in one of two ways, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And then the last thing he says is never be wise in your own sight. And God is saying, do not rely on your opinion. You know, sometimes experts weigh in and they go, no, that's not right. Well, maybe it's not right because it's not within your realm of experience, but maybe your realm of experience isn't the end all of what God is putting out there. And so we need to give God the ability and the place to be the final word. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So once again, he's reaffirming this whole don't respond in kind. And he's saying don't repay evil for evil. But, but actually what he's saying is, but step back and take a moment and purpose your actions to be honorable. And I was trying to think of an analogy of this. So I have a neighbor and... Um, they have a big three-car garage driveway, but they always park a car right in front of our house. I mean, all the time. It's just like, and it's not even near their, their part of the driveway. It's like right in front of our house. So when trash day comes around, I have one of two places to put my trash cans, either in my driveway, which I may hit if I pull out, or now I have to put my trash cans in front of my other neighbor's house. And so I was thinking, well, what if that neighbor finally just got fed up with seeing my trash cans in front of their house, and they came over one day and they wheeled my trash over and they dumped it on my front lawn. Well, that might cause a response for me. So I might go out there and investigate what's going on and, and, the, and the neighbor might say, I'm tired of your stupid trash in front of my house. Well, that might cause some of my neighbors to come out and see how it is that I'm going to respond to this situation. So, well, we won't, I won't go into that. But one of the things that's kind of interesting was... Um, when, uh, do you remember a couple Thanksgivings ago when it snowed? And this is, is like right on Thanksgiving morning, we had that beautiful snow. So I was out there and I was scooping the driveway and the, and the sidewalk. And then I went over and I scooped my neighbor's driveway and sidewalk. I was feeling generous that day. And um, there's been a couple of times when my neighbor, um, I think, has been out of town because trash day has come and gone. And then I've seen their trash can out in front of their house. Well, you know what that is as a sign for people that drive by. They're like, oh, there's nobody there. Could be, you know, easy break-in or something like that. So I always take their trash can and I put it back up on um, by their house. Well, the other day, my wife came in and she goes, did you put the trash cans away? I was like, no. She goes, well, somebody put our trash cans away. And I told her, I said, well, I've done that for our neighbors on certain occasions. She was like, well, that's pretty cool. One of the things that's really awesome about not responding in kind 
is it then produces this desire in other people to want to respond in that same way. And the reason is, is because there's such a huge chasm of difference. When you respond in kind, you are no different than anybody else. In fact, you are feeding into the natural tendency, which is to take it to the next level higher until really there's no end to that except for ultimate destruction. But when it says in the Bible that a kind word turns aside wrath. If you've ever taken an opportunity to, to do that, especially you can always see that when you're driving, you know, when you, you cut somebody off and you go, dude, my fault. You know, and they're like, they're, it's like they'll let it go. It's like instant de-escalation. Or what's even better is if you get an opportunity to come up next to the person, your windows are down, you look over at them and go, dude, I'm so sorry, totally not paying attention, my fault. That's all right, dude. You know, because they can totally understand and relate to that. You're like, I've been there too. How often are we really 100% paying attention while we're driving? Like, it's the radio, it's the phone. There's always something. Up. So there's that relatability that other people have when we make that effort to not respond in kind and then to go to that next level. And then what's really cool is he says, so now I'm standing in front of my, my house and I'm ready to respond to the neighbor. But I'm taking a moment and I'm going, what do I say? How do I address this so that I don't escalate this? And I go over to him and I go, you know what? I'm really sorry that I have to put my, my garbage cans in front of your house. But this other neighbor, they're always parking in front of my house. And the, the trash guy probably wouldn't even be able to get to him. And they're like, man, don't you hate that? And so now it's, it's been taken down. And, but here's the really cool scriptural definition of what this means. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This means that we do something that, safes, that safeguards the integrity of our enemy. And it brings no shame to our character or name. So basically what this means is that maybe my neighbor has escalated and responded to such a degree and that's out of character for who they are. Maybe I don't know what's going on in their morning. And so instead of taking opportunity to throw fire on this flame and, and make this thing go out of control, I take a chance and I go, you know what, I'm going to safeguard your integrity because of what it is that, that I don't know about you and what you've gone through, and I'm going to take it down a notch. And now that person, they're, they're intact. You know, The only thing that the other neighbor saw was that the trash can got knocked over in the front yard. They don't know any of the information behind that. And also, I safeguard my good name. And so it, it works all for the benefit of everybody involved. It is such a blessing. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I wanted to share another scripture, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. It says, and this is Paul, and he's talking about the efforts that he does when it comes to reaching the lost, those that are unsaved. He says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some or that I might win some to the Lord. So then we go back to verse 18 here. And really this is that same meaning. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So what he's basically saying is, whatever it takes making every effort, being willingness to sacrifice, being willing to make the investment, do that. Because what's at stake here 
is those who are perishing. This is the most important thing that you could dedicate any and all of your energies to. As I get older, I think about the legacy, the impact that I will leave behind. And I was having a conversation with my wife this morning, and I was like, you know what? There's a lot of great theologians that that we can quote and that are in the footnotes of different books, but I can't think of a better legacy than to have a legacy in Christ, to have a legacy of people that could point to me and go, you know what? It's because of something that this person did that I'm even standing here today. There, there is nothing of greater lasting value than being able to put our minds to focus our thoughts on that. Because everything else in the world is a distraction away from that. And I, um, I wanted to share something with you that came to me this morning as we were in prayer. And um, it's this. Sometimes you will face difficulty and challenge by the enemy As you are in the process of preparing to do something, you're not even doing the thing that you're preparing to do. And the reason why that is true is because the enemy doesn't know what it is that you're going to do or the level of effectiveness that you're going to have when you get to the place that you can do it. And so if he can attack you at the place of preparation, that's the place where you have the least amount of confidence in your ability to do something. And I, I even think of Francesca, she's going through school and she's making those plans to prep her. God's already seen what that destination looks like seven months in a day or seven weeks in a day after this on the 23rd when all is said and done, the 23rd of December. Um, and so we're looking for that in our own lives as well. So when you are attacked in the midst of the preparation, don't lose heart in well-doing. Know that the enemy is attacking you because that's the easiest place that he, he's, he's the path of least resistance. He's not involved in these big complex uh, plans of attack. He's going to cut it off at the easiest place he can. So if he can undermine your, um, your preparation, if he can undermine your confidence, he will do that. Because once you get to that level where you're standing in that confidence in God going, okay, God, what are we going to take on next? He's going to have ultimately a much harder time um, standing toe-to-toe with you. That's just extra. That's just bonus. Okay. So <laughs> oh, one other cool thing about... If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So when you maintain your side of the peace, if the, so here's the equation. You maintain your side of the peace. If the peace fails between you and your enemy, let it fail on their side. Does that make sense? So it's almost like you've built a wall between their property and your property, and there's a wall that they have between their property and your property, but their wall is going to crumble to pieces, but you still have your wall intact. And so what's awesome about that is when we maintain our peace, then we are always ready for whatever it is that God strategically wants to do in and through us. Success, the recipe of success, is when opportunity meets preparation. So if you're always at that place of preparation in God, where you're like, hey, you know, my heart's already has no more animosity for this person. I'm already like seeing this person in their difficulties and I'm trying to bless them. I'm wishing for their well-being. 
And of course, they're not responding in kind because they're not motivated by the Holy Spirit and the things that motivate you. So they're still a little bit like untrusting of you and wondering why it is that you're responding. Or is this some sort of a ploy to, to lull, you know, lull me in, you know, to lower my defenses and, and just bring them in? They're going to attack. You know, they don't know why it is that you're doing that. But what's great is when you do that, two things happen. One, their actions of animosity and hostility become very apparent because you're no longer responding in the same way. And so when people see the interaction and they see someone swearing at you or doing something that's, wow, it's like they're asking the questions, oh, where did that come from? And then the second thing is, is then it becomes much easier for them to simply respond in kind as well. I, I wanted to think of, a, of an analogy for this. And so there's a work situation and two employees, one's in the right, one's in the wrong. And the one that's in the wrong will consider them in that persecutor enemy situation. The boss brings them both in. You know, we need that piece in the office, be professional and all that kind of stuff. So both parties have been talked to. So now go on with work. It's about a week later. You're walking through the halls, and of course now this is really awkward because this person has been put in their place, but they still feel everything against you. They're just like, Ugh. So you try to be professional. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? And so you're just you're trying to de-escalate things. You're trying to work on that working relationship. Well, what happens is you happen to come into a conversation that they were having with another person. They're saying, yeah, we've been trying to figure this out all weekend. We can't get the computer to, to, to work. It's got this going on, and you're kind of hearing that. The other person walks away, and then you walk up to them, and you go, you know what? I, I couldn't help but hear that you were having this issue with your computer. Well, I had that same thing happen to me. We ordered this, this online tool, and you tell them how to fix it. You bring it to them the next day. They go home. They fix it. You've now solved this problem that's completely unrelated. But the reason why you did that was because now your heart's in tune. You're available for some detail in their life that you never would have paid attention to before. Now you've solved something in their life, and now they have literally no reason to not like you other than their past history that they've had with you. And they come back and you inquire, hey, did that work? It, it's amazing. It's, it's working now. I, I thank you. And that was a hard thank you for them to give to you. But it's one that happened all because you were strategically ready at that wall of peace. Amen? Amen. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So basically he's saying, if you don't pay attention to all these instructions that I've given you, you're going to be right on that path of trying to curse this person in response who's persecuted you. Because that's, that's the natural tendency when we respond in kind. And there's a few reasons wrong with us going down that path. Um, we're reminded that this role of vengeance is solely reserved for God. He is the only one that can precisely ap apply the appropriate response for all evil actions. Even as parents, we try to discipline our kids. We do the best that we can with what we understand, with the training that we were provided by flawed and imperfect parents. But, oh, God. And, and this, this is the reason why it's so good, is because God is not going to give any more or any less that which is due to those that have that coming. 
and a couple, I think in June or August, I preached on um, the judgment and the different kinds of judgment that there are. And don't, don't be confused, don't be concerned that all of the injustices that we see in this world, we, we feel like they, they just go unchecked, that they go unanswered. And that is the reason why a lot of us want to respond in kind because we're like, well, unless I respond, then this person is going to get away with something. That's not true. God is keeping track of all of those things. But the thing that our heart should not be is a heart of vengeance. God is trying to say, I want to change your heart so that's not how you think. So that's not the motivation for your actions. I want the motivation that you have to be one that sees them as only those who are perishing. They do not have any other ability but to respond according to the sinful nature and character that drives them. But we have a sanctified and a transforming character that God is now using and he's saying there's no better way for you to exercise that saved character than to provide mercy upon those who so desperately need it. All right. Verse 20. To the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. So once again, now, because our perspective has changed in how we look at our enemy, we're now in tune with their situation. Let's take this enemy, let's, this person that's very volatile. And a lot of times what happens is sometimes the very things that they sow, they begin to reap in this lifetime. Those angry people... Maybe now this anger has, has been directed at not just you, but other people. And the, and the boss says, you know what, that's not acceptable, and he fires him from his job. Well, that's the third job that he was fired from. His wife says, I'm done. She takes the kids and she leaves. Well, now he doesn't have a job. He can't pay for his mortgage. Now he's evicted from his home. Well, now the only thing that he wants to do is lose his, himself and his troubles, and so he goes and he begins to drink and so the next time that you see him, you see him on the side of the road, destitute, dirty, thirsty, and hungry. It could be very easy for, to you, for you to go, I can tell you exactly why this person is in this place. Or you could take the heart that God has been transforming in you, and you can say, buddy, let's go get you cleaned up. Let me give you something to eat. Let me give you something to drink. I want to explain to you the context of this phrase, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. So we haven't always lived in an age where you walk into your house and if you want to fight out, fight with your spouse on how warm or cold it is, you just turn a little dial on the wall. It used to be that in order to cook our food, we had to go and get fire and we would use that same fire to heat our home. So back in those days, that having those ready-made coals was a very important part of life. And so typically they never let that coal go out. They would keep it kind of smoldering throughout the day. So the situation or the, the picture that we can look at is, let's say like your neighbor, it's very cold at night and they forgot to restoke the fire of coals before they went to bed. And so in the middle of the night, now the coals have gone out and their house is getting very cold and their children are cold. And so the neighbor would go from his house to the neighbor's house and he would say, can I borrow a coal because I need to restart my fire very quickly. You know, they didn't have little Bic lighters and stuff like that. They didn't want to waste time doing that. They knew their neighbor could easily spare a coal if they had a whole little fireplace of coals. So what 
this analogy is saying, he goes, no, you don't just give him a coal. He goes, you keep one coal for yourself, and you take all of the coals, you heap them in this pot. In those days when they had something heavy to carry, they didn't put it over their arms and on their back. They had a little pad that they had on their head, and they would hold it and they would carry it on their head. And so he says, you are heaping these coals into this fire. It's so heavy now, they can't just carry it like this. They've got to carry it like this home. And so now it's not only just one coal that they have to add a bunch of um, fuel to and wait for that to warm up. He goes, it is ready to go. You have set them up so that whatever that need was, the minute they saw you, that need was met. All they had to do is transfer it to their own house to cook, to heat, and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that amazing picture? That is legendary love on another level. All right, verse 21. We're going to wrap this up. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Once again, this is that response that we've reversed. We're now no longer responding in kind. We are responding in the kind of people that we are, which is transformed hearts in God. So... The real question that we have as believers is, how do I share my faith with the lost? I know I've struggled with that. You know, the the Bible says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means that we have been divided in our relationship with God. Christ came, reconciled that, and so now we share that good news with other people that, hey, we're no longer not saved. We have this opportunity to be reconnected with God. The Great Commission, go ye therefore into all the world, preach the gospel, Well, all of those are good and well, but what does that look like for me? What does that look like with how I interact with my neighbors? What's really good is God says, you guys are overthinking this. This is way more simple than what you've ever thought. If you will put these very things that I have given you into practice, if you will learn how to interact with your enemies, then within that is the evangelistic tool to now build relationships on a much deeper level with those that you do care about, that you're already currently in relationship with. God says, just learn to be strategic. Just learn to have that success. Be always looking for that place where you can intercept that person's need and have that opportunity to bless them, that success. See that opportunity and be prepared to fulfill that. People do not connect with God until they connect with God's people. There's not this great big warehouse that people walk into that says, get saved here, and then they just go and stand in the middle of it, and they're like, okay, well, what happens? Well, that might be true if God's people were in that warehouse. And you guys, we're in this warehouse. We're in this little place right here. And when people learn to be in community with God's people, which means that we've got to learn to get out of, outside of ourselves, we've got to learn that it's okay to be in situations that might not be convenient, that, not, that might not be comfortable, that might cause us to need to reschedule some things, reshuffle some things, might cause you to need to spend some money to take somebody out for a, for a meal or for coffee or something like that. God is just saying, this is not just about you being saved. And in fact, you being saved... Within that is the equation of you having a mind for those who are perishing. The enemy uses the sinner's struggles and vulnerabilities to solidify their hate against God. People that don't have any association with God, they look at the things that they're going through, and then they make statements. 
No loving God would allow such suffering and injustice. If there's nobody there to counter that argument, how are they not justified in having that position on God? Because when we look at this world, it looks pretty unjust. It looks pretty horrible. It looks pretty hostile. Here's the believer's role. God uses believers to show his love on a legendary level to those who are suffering. And then the sinner will say, no God would ever love someone so, as, so undeserving as me. Once they get in touch with that level of love, once they realize that, you know what, I didn't do anything to, to deserve this, especially when they've treated God's people that way, and God's people choose not to respond in kind, but they choose to respond in a love that's on another level. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the power not only to transform us, but to touch and change the lives of those that you would put us in contact with. So, Father God, help us to look upon those people within our spheres of influence in a very different way, Father God, so that we might be used by you strategically. Lord God, we just love you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com. To see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content, please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.